Bienvenidos, Dave. Hola. Que tal? Uh, wh- wonderful. So you're back from Barcelona? Yeah, yeah, I'm all back. Went to Barcelona and Detroit, and it was it was pretty cool. Um, met a lot of it's super nice people there. It's like incredibly nice people. I was surprised. Um, um, it, it, you know, people are super friendly there. And then uh, tried to use... Uh, uber but i found out it was illegal and so i didn't want to like get arrested going to the airport to go home so we decided not to do that so you just and hitched then, um, instead yeah no we just took a regular old cab and then um it was interesting with taking the family to the barcelona beaches where the the dress code is different um in certain ways so that was kind of awkward uh but we got through it but it was still enjoyable um <laughs> for most of us or some of us. Um, I, I have this great image of you in an old style, like bathing costume with like a with an inflatable ball under one arm and being dumbstruck uh-huh. at the uh, yeah. at the libertine Spanish beachways. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a wool wool swimsuit. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And then we went to uh, Montserrat and La Rambla and Sagrada Familia. So that was just fantastic. Oh, wonderful. Those are all my favorite spots over there. Um, yeah. That's great. So tell me, Sagrada Familia, explain explain that to folks, because that's, that's one of the big sites to see in Barcelona, right? Yeah. So that's been, like, under construction for, what, almost 100 years now. And uh, they finally got the roof put on. And it's it's a, uh, a minor basilica in, in Barcelona. And uh, it was uh, done by, uh, the architect was Gaudi, and he got hit by a, a streetcar or something and and he died before it was completed it like back in 1926 but and they were still working on it since then and uh went through it and took a bazillion pictures just really beautiful uh inside but uh surprisingly um i don't think they do church services in there yet uh, because it's still like under construction so um but it was it was really awesome it was just beautiful like um the, like the columns inside um, they look like trees. I don't know, I'm sure you noticed that. Um, mm-hmm. Where it, it's just fantastic. How it, it's almost like branches made out of the the granite or marble or whatever it was. It's just wonderful. Yeah, and the, and I and I remember you know portions of it look like melted clay. I, it's it's absolutely breathtaking, um, and especially to see it in person, it's that's wonderful. Um, oh, I'm so glad oh, yeah. you got to see that. That's great. How cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and then Detroit. To, uh, speaking of melted plastic. Um, yeah, yeah, to cleanse a palate, I went to Detroit and uh, to the Maker Fair, and uh, so it's like I'm standing there in the Maker Fair, uh, just walking around, and some guy comes up to me and said, "Hey, you're the dad with the girl with the raspberry pie," and I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> yes, I am." <laughs> so that that was pretty cool. Um, and then um, uh, the the thing I didn't like about it though was that you had to buy admission to the Henry Ford Museum, um, and which as opposed to other maker fairs where it was like just free and you walk around and all that. Um, but, uh, cause to me, it's like, if I wanted to go to the Henry Ford, I would have set aside a separate day to do that. Um, instead of mm-hmm. paying for a ticket to walk through the museum, to go out to the parking lot, to be at the maker fair. Um, right. Right. Yeah. And then, um, there was, uh, it, what was funny is that I stopped in Toledo, 
uh, or we, the family did on the way there. And we went to a place called Tony Paco's, which is, it was famous from the TV show MASH, uh, where, you mm -hmm. know, Klinger was from Toledo and, uh, mm -hmm. he always talked about Tony Paco's hot dogs. Um, so I, right. I actually buy pickles there by the case. Um, and so driving through, it's like, I'll, I'll buy a case of pickles and everything. So we stopped and ate lunch there. And the next week, a tractor trailer, literally seven days later, a tractor trailer drove through the building um, and the truck driver died and all that. And it was, it was like crazy. And so it's like, I, I don't know if that's like the Stasi coming out to get me and their, their timing is bad, but. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's terrible. Well, and then Toledo shortly thereafter had that catastrophic water problem, right? Yeah, so there was a, a dangerous uh, toxin in the water supply. So I'm like convinced that the Stasi, they were after me. Um, <laughs> That's right. You have so to they, enter and Toledo and leave destruction Erie. in your wake. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's like I'll be banned from everywhere else. And uh, yeah, so it's like I guess there's some um, – the problem is fertilizer runoff that goes into Lake Erie, and then it, it the, the algae just loves it. And, and like the it's almost like Lake Erie was like, like certain patches. It was like this toxic algae. It was like almost a solid. Um, so it was, it was – uh, uh, pretty crazy. Um, and, and they just lifted the water drinking ban. Um, so anyhow, and then Lauren is back and she is at, she has an internship at NASA Glenn, uh, up in Cleveland. So she's connecting a head mounted display to a raspberry Pi, and she's working on a raspberry Pi powered, uh, power wall today. And, um, they're, they're like told, they told her, it's like, well, you know, Lauren, you're probably going to need to come in early if, if you want to get your laptop on the network, uh, cause we only use Linux here and, and, we may have trouble with non-Linux OSs. And then Lauren was like, uh, that won't be a problem. And <laughs> you know, cause she's running, you know, RHEL and she's like, it's not a big deal. So it was fine. So she's like, uh, just loving it there. Just really enjoying it. So it's, um, three week internship and she'll be sad to, sad to leave. Um, but how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm knee deep in uh, sleep training the little boy now, um, which is uh, demanding uh, on the entire family, especially on 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 my wife. But uh, but everybody suffers just a little bit. Um, so that's uh, that's been kind of an all-consuming activity. Um, let's see. Oh, I'm the proud owner of a workbench in my garage, uh, which oh, I think nice. was the capstone on my home ownership. Uh, you know, you don't yep. really feel like you're a homeowner until you got like a workbench. Um, and so my dad came and visited us, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and while he was here, uh, he and I made, uh, uh, he and I, he and I devoted ourselves to men's work. Um, mm -hmm. and so we, we built up this workbench, um, out of some scrap cedar that I had. Um, anyway, we had a great time putting it together and I'm very happy to have oh. this, uh, have this bench in place. So that's, so that's cool. Nice. Now you need tools. Well, so it's, so actually in the course of building this thing, I, I, uh, treated myself to like a rotary saw and a bunch of other tools that, that I had meaning, been meaning to get. So, you know, um, the accumulation of equipment in the course of making this thing is actually half the fun, right? Um, so I'm yes. getting like a, yeah, like a laser guided circ saw and stuff like that. So that was cool. But it's um, like, it's like a fun way to do a fun yak shaving, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but I had a question for you, Dave, because I'm, uh, so, you know, sleep training means, uh, spending a lot of time in bed reading, waiting for yes. my son to explode. Um, yep. and, uh, and so I find myself like reading a lot more PDFs on, uh, on my mm. tablet here and, you know, and I mm -hmm. flip between Android and, and iOS, just depending on what kind of device I have at hand. And I realized that reading PDFs is a lot more complicated than I would like it to be. Um, mm. 
so I have this, you know, I have this uh, kind of hinky system where uh, I have Dropbox automatically sync uh, PDFs in a particular folder to all mm -hmm. my devices, right? So all the PDFs mm -hmm. are available. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have a very hard time keeping track of where I la where I left off on a particular PDF. Mm. Um, okay. And then when I add the annotation kind of aspect to it, like I would like to be able to annotate these PDFs, make notes, um, make bookmarks, things like that, and have all that stuff sync across all the devices. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. finding that is unbelievably difficult. Um, and I am... <clears throat> frankly shocked that given all the scientists in the world, all the engineers in the world who read PDFs for a living, that like nobody has actually cracked this nut. And it makes me think that I just haven't found the one tool that everybody is using. Um, so yeah. have you run into this? Do you have a, do you have a PDF management solution that you enjoy? Yeah. So I would use like uh, caliber and, you know, and all the files would be in Dropbox. And then I would use like Aldeco to, to pull them out, but I, I wouldn't take notes and annotate things. And, and over time, I actually have moved over to Google Play Books, where you can upload uh, PDFs and EPUBs. Um, and that I haven't played with the the page syncing between the um, PDFs, but I think at least on the EPUBs, it will synchronize pages. Um, but the downside, though, is that with the uh, PDFs, you you can't highlight and do notes, as far as I could tell. Um, with EPUBs, huh. you can, and it's very much like the Kindle. Um, but, but with, uh, I don't think you can with PDFs, which, which would be painful. Yeah. I've been, I've been playing with Kindle, uh, because of the, you know, the whisper sync, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. and I've just been kind of, yeah, kind of disappointed because it needs to be in a special format in order to make that work. And anyway, I find the whole thing like really fiddly and annoying, um, in a way that surprised me. Cause like I said, like almost, I presume that almost everybody has this problem, but, um, mm -hmm. nobody seems to have solved it in, to, at least to my satisfaction anyway. Yeah. Um, so instead of reading PDFs, I've been watching the, the new Mad Max trailer over and over and over again, because it is awesome. It is oh, so really? cool. Yeah. The new nice. Mad Max movie. Um, yeah. I haven't even seen it yet and it gets five stars, uh, just based on the trailer alone. <laughs> it's the, the trailer is extraordinary. Well, that's um, great. Cause I, I always worry about these. It's like, is Hollywood run out of ideas? And, uh, you know, it's like, they just, rehash the old stuff over and over like the the new planet of the apes movie it's like that whole i haven't seen the newest planet of the apes movie yet but i'm such a fan of the old planet of the apes and the same with star trek too that you know i don't like the new stuff as much because it's been you know i want to see people in ape suits um i, I don't want to see the cgi <laughs> stuff you know it's right you know right. call me old-fashioned you know <laughs> well you know i think the the trick to a reboot is Actually, bringing this is, sounds trite, but you know, bringing something new to the franchise, right? Like yes. Reinterpreting it in a different way, right? So, the, for instance, like the difference between the '90s Batman movies and the Dark Knight series in the 2000s are, are you know, they're miles apart. Um, yes. They're two completely different stories, really. Um, and so, I think based on this Mad Max trailer, um, it looks like they're doing the same thing. Um, it helps that yep. it's a prequel too. Um, so, but yep. uh, anyway. Looking forward to that. Anyway, for the show today, we've got uh, more Stasi news. Uh, we've got uh, why cloud providers can't have nice things, and uh, some great uh, some great OpenShift news. What what do we have on the cutting room floor? Uh, yeah, so the, we've got a bunch of stuff. We've got like uh, CIA stuff. We got moon. We got U.S. secret moon bases. Um, but the one that I really wanted to uh, I really wanted to highlight was this debate I found between uh, the novelist James Baldwin and the mm -hmm. conservative pundit William F. Buckley. They had a debate 
um, at Cambridge in like 1966. Um, and you know, in one of these sleepless nights, I just kind of like stumbled on it on YouTube. Oh, it's 58 minutes or something. I watched the entire thing and I was completely enthralled, um, for a bunch of reasons. And I did a whole blog post about it, but I wanted to, I wanted to mention it here, um, just to talk about the, how rare it is to see two very intelligent people making persuasive arguments in front of other people. Um, hmm. this happens so rarely, um, and yeah. so rarely at <laughs> such length, right? Like the, if you hear somebody speak persuasively, uh, they get about two minutes usually, right? Yes. Um, in this case to actually see them mount a very, two very sophisticated arguments, um, and have them, you know, <laughs> run an entire 58 minutes was, um, wonderful and thrilling and also made me a little bit sad and wish that, uh, wish the more of that was available to us. Um, yeah. Why is it that we could do that in 1966 and not today? It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Um, but you got follow-up. You got Stasi doppelgangers. Tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So there's a... So you know how you have all the 3D printers and all that. Now there's a, a Chinese 3D printer that allows you to print uh, a 3D print of a, one point, a one-to-one replica of yourself. So what nice. I can do is... Yeah, so when I travel and the Stasi is coming after me, I can I can have these uh, uh, wax replicas all over the place, and they won't know which one is a real me. It's sort of like Saddam Hussein. Yeah. Oh, that's a, what a good idea. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Um, but then I suppose you could also just go ahead and get a bodyguard to protect yourself against the Stasi, right? Yeah, but don't, aren't they expensive? Like you got to buy them for long term and all that. What you need, Dave, is Bannerman, which is uh, Bannerman. Uber for bodyguards. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so it's like I could just call them up and have them deliver to the house. They could guard me and then go away when the threat has uh, gone away. Okay, great. Exactly. Yeah, Sign me genius. <laughs> so we'll include a link to Bannerman in the in the in the show notes. So I found. Uh, so did you see the news about uh, you know how much we enjoy uh, communi- machines communicating over ultrasound, right? Uh, did you see that uh, Chromecast is going to be using ultrasound? Yeah, it's about time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what problem this solves, but it is super cool to think of uh, getting machines to configure themselves and get you know configuration data and stuff over ultrasound transports. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is pretty cool. Um, well, I, I'm not sure I my dog will enjoy it though. That's the, that's the beat. Yeah, and the guinea pigs—they'll just be melting yeah, down pigs. and yeah, they yeah. will not care for that. Yeah, yeah, but but my guess is that the ultrasound would be helpful where you don't have your you know, you want to have the Chromecast talk to your phone, but it's almost like a near field communication sort of thing without having to lay down like a router or, or any sort of mm-hmm. network infrastructure. So it's, it's almost like I can imagine it being like, like, uh, an, an infrared remote control, but since you can't use infrared because probably your Chromecast is plugged in behind your TV, you got to use something else, like something like ultrasonic, uh, sound, which right. may be directional. So I don't know how good that'll be. Yeah, yeah. It'd be yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they implement it and also how useful it ends up being. I mean, it could be like all those like infrared readers on the Palm devices that nobody ever really used. Um, yep. Yeah, that'd be interesting. All right. Um, so, Dave, you know about the you know about the Streisand effect? You're familiar with this? Yeah, that that has to do with uh, Barbara Streisand, and she had uh, what some mansion or something like that, and there was some, and she told somebody not to do something regarding the mansion, and it just egged everybody on to want to do it instead of just ignoring it, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the uh, um, by by protesting something, um, you end up giving it power, right? That's the uh, that's the thing. So the, um, drawing attention to something uh, that you really didn't want to draw attention to um, by objecting mm -hmm. to it. And so um, there's this open source project that I found um, called Streisand, and it's a kind of like dark web in a box, right? So it's like a VM with like Tor and all this encryption stuff and VPN stuff. And the idea is to make it really, really simple to hide all of your internet traffic by going through all these kind of covert channels, right? Mm. Um, and that's moderately interesting, but the, but the, the kind of the larger premise is if everybody was able to use this, if it was easy enough that everybody could use a facility like this, then, mm -hmm. um, then, people would not be able to identify because right now you can see like oh that's tor traffic and so obviously i'm going to go pay attention to that tor traffic because that person has something to hide but if everybody was using tor traffic um you could uh you could actually hide much more uh, much more effectively um so it's a kind of so streisand is kind of a winking reference to this uh, uh, uh to this uh, dynamic um anyway i thought was, i thought that was pretty cool it's and it also reminded me of um uh, back in the Usenet days, you know, in the news groups, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. when everybody was was worried about the the NSA spying back then, and uh, they could they so everybody uh, added to their signature at the end of every post, they would say stuff like NSA covert top secret blah 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 blah, um, in order to ostensibly to trigger like keywords that the NSA would have to listen to, and so by creating a yes. whole bunch of noise, uh, they uh, would you know they would like disable the NSA or whatever. Um, anyway, yeah. similar thing, but now scaled up to this dark web tour in a box hmm. thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of the, uh, the new EFF effort was open wireless where you can put this uh, open wireless firmware on a particular router and it automatically opens it up to, uh, have free Wi-Fi for like just visitors passing by. And mm -hmm. the you know, part of it is to be altruistic and let anybody you know to have basically this mesh of open Wi-Fi and and you could be altruistic about it. But the other part of it is that it allows it gives you plausible uh, deniability in terms of oh well this traffic came from this address. Well actually I, I use my router as an open hotspot and you can't prove it was me um, because I use right. this as an open hotspot. Yep 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 um, and it's actually it's and it's actually the same as um, Google's Project Zero. Do you hear about that? Robin Price uh, turned us onto this. Um, Google's got this Project Zero, which is meant to make SSL use ubiquitous. So all in, you know, so everybody's encrypted all the time, um, and it's for the same mm -hmm. reason, right? Um, so that you can't pick out the interesting traffic. If everybody's encrypted, then um, then uh, you can't kind of incriminate yourself by using encryption, right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. that's that's. I, I like having. SSL everywhere. It's silly not to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, Speaking so of silly things to not have. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's, um, so I, I saw this one thing called the pinwheel, which is, it's basically, mm -hmm. it's like a, a mini segue, which is, um, it looks like a segue without the handlebars or anything. And it's, it's almost like a skateboard uh, slash unicycle that is battery powered. And, uh, um, I saw a video for it, and it was, and it's like uh, $295 uh, suggested retail price. It goes up to 14 miles an hour, has a 12-mile range. Um, and uh, I was thinking that, oh, I'm, you know, it's like, that's kind of cool, but is it really going to take off? And I was walking down the street in Barcelona, and some dude had one, and he, like, like blew past me. It was, it was pretty cool. 
Wow, that is cool. And it, you know, the uh, my favorite part of it is that it actually charges by USB. Yes. Which is wonderful. Nice. <laughs> I think it's great. That'll take a while, um, probably. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The trickle charge on the yeah, no, that's that 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 will take a while. Yeah. So, so Gunnar, did you see the article about the Obama administration saying that the uh, uh, they have access to servers around the world? Yeah, and you know, a lot of this coverage was you know kind of breathless, like oh, you know, another administration overreach and trying to get into all of our data. Um, but the situation is actually really complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it's 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 a hard problem, and I can see the points from both vantage points. So, so on one side, the Justice Department is claiming that Microsoft must hand over email that's stored in in Dublin, Ireland, um, and it, because they they claim that um, any company with operations in the United States must comply with valid warrants for data, even if the content is stored overseas. Um, and then and they're saying that it's a position that Microsoft and companies like Apple say is wrong, arguing that enforcement of U.S. law stops at the border. And then on the other side of it, uh, you, got, you got Microsoft, and um, they were saying that it has wide-ranging uh, global implications, saying that Congress has not authorized the issuance of search warrants outside of U.S. territory, and the government can't seek a court uh, can't seek, and a court cannot issue a warrant allowing federal agents to break down the doors of micro, Microsoft's Dublin facility. Um, so, and and to me, it's like what makes it really tricky is for um, uh, you know creating this chilling effect where if you have people that want to do business with a, a company that it's not even a U.S. company, but a company that operates in, in U.S. territory, um, they may. Uh, be uh, compromised by uh, a, a U.S. court warrant, um, even if that data is stored overseas. So, um, and that I think would create a lot of problems for cloud vendors that are, um, you know, trying to operate and, and have a, a U.S. presence. And, uh, you know, that I think that that economically would hurt the United States. But w what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So, the, I mean, well, it's so first of all, the Department of Justice's position here is not unreasonable, right? So uh -huh. the rule the rule can't be, well, as long as you hold all this data outside the United States, we can't get it, right? So now suddenly that severely, you know, that just destroys their ability to um, to issue any warrants, right, for, for any kind of data, right? Because if I'm a company doing bad stuff, all I need to do is move the stuff over to the Bahamas or whatever, and um, and now it's out of, out of reach of the United States. Um, yeah. So that's a, that doesn't seem like a workable solution, right? Um, on the other hand, uh, Microsoft has a great argument, and actually there's a there are a bunch of layers to this argument, right? So um, the first is, if uh, Microsoft's argument is, well, we have to hold this stuff in other in other localities, right? Um, for technical reasons and for business reasons, we want to keep stuff in Dublin and we want to keep stuff in wherever China, um, and uh, that actually puts us under the jurisdiction of other countries, right? So in the case of Dublin, Microsoft has to simultaneously answer to the U.S. Department of Justice, but also has to follow all the EU's data handling rules, right? And mm -hmm. often those are in, and not often, but, you know, those can be in conflict, like in this case, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. Microsoft would have to be, uh, would have to satisfy the DOJ's requirements and be responsive to, the, to this warrant, um, but to have to figure out a way to do it without breaking all the EU's rules. And so Microsoft is really kind of in an untenable position here. I mean, it's just, it can't win. Um, yeah. 
And I, I and think so too, the, if you go ahead, go ahead. No, no, uh, and I was just going to say, and so you have all these like multiple overlapping jurisdictions, um, and and not just for the data at rest, right, where the data is actually living, but also where the data is transiting through, right. So like Turkey, as an example. Um, says that it is allowed to look at any data that passes through its territory, right? So if there's, if you're sending data from wherever, from Dublin uh, over to India, and it happens to pass through Turkey, well, now suddenly you've got Turkish rules that you also have to follow. Um, mm -hmm. And suddenly it looks not very, uh, suddenly, you know, being in the cloud business doesn't look like a lot of fun. Um, mm -hmm. because now you've got the, you have to comply with the, like the union of all of these different overlapping, um, data, hand, data handling rules, um, which is obviously not the case. And, you know, you kind of peel back all these layers on the onion. And if you're Microsoft, you have to figure out like which rules to comply with. And eventually you end up in this like Hobbesian state of nature where Microsoft is just going to end up following the rules of the guy with the biggest guns. Um, right. and that's not like, and that's not a good way to do things either. Right. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's a, the whole problem is really fascinating, and I'm and, and frankly, I'm like really disappointed by the kind of quality of reporting on this story because it's um, it's really easy to caricature it as like overreaching DOJ versus like victimized Microsoft or um, you know anti patriotic Microsoft you know running afoul a government investigation right when it's like it is way more complicated than that. Yeah, yeah, and and if we were to put the shoe on the other foot, probably. And I don't know if this would even be technically or legally possible, but what would happen if, you know, uh, China for, you know, to pick a random company passes a, has a similar policy or law that says that, oh, well, hey, Amazon, you're doing business in China. And so that means that, you know, same rules apply. And there's a piece of data you were using. Um, uh, there's some data in uh, GovCloud that, that we want to subpoena. Um, in, in the U.S. and would they be able to pull that out and um, you know that maybe like ITAR restricted data and mm -hmm. yeah you know, what would happen there? It's a similar sort yeah. of problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it seems like the kind of thing that can, I, I you know I don't know this space. I know this space well enough to know that it's a huge problem. I don't know it well enough to to know if there are any kind of solutions on the table. But it seems like some. Congress is going to have to pass a law at some point here, and we are probably going to have to sign treaties with a bunch of other people in order to make the world safe for, for cloud providers, right? It would seem mm -hmm. like. Um, yeah. uh, but the, that's, that's a tall order. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, it's funny that we had these same kind of arguments back when the internet was first starting with like, uh, with international, uh, with ordering stuff over the internet internationally and like who gets to tax it, right? We had the argument in the United States of like, do the states get to tax internet orders? You know, is it a federal tax thing or is it a state tax thing in which states are going to enforce it and yada, yada, yada. Um, famously, like Amazon ran into this problem where they were, uh, they were operating in Texas. And so Texas decided that they were going to start charging sales tax on Amazon orders and Amazon, instead of, uh, instead of really, instead of fighting them, they just pulled stumps and like shut down all of their Texas operations uh, and made mm -hmm. sure that no employees were in Texas, um, making it impossible for Texas to to assert uh, their uh, sales jurisdiction or their taxing uh, jurisdiction. Um, anyway, similar problem. We kind of glossed over it in the 90s because internet shopping is so awesome. Um, <laughs> we just figured we'd just like ignore the problem or like let it be messy. Um, yeah, but now we're and getting just hurry up and buy stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but now we're, you know, now, you know, what, 20 years later, um, and in this kind of post Snowden world, uh, these questions are coming up again, and we can't kind of kick the can down the road anymore. I mean, these are becoming, as we can see in this case of this, 
this data in, Microsoft data in Dublin. I mean, this is a, this is a real problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So speaking of it being bad to be in the cloud business, um, AWS missed their quarter. Did you see that? Yeah, that I mean, for typically, and, and this is like Amazon, they miss their quarter as a whole, right? And and it, typically that's not a big deal for Amazon, right? Where Amazon as a whole, they're okay, um, uh, you know, taking a loss because they look at it as a way to be strategic and build up market share and invest for the future and, and play the long game. Whereas in this case, it was AWS's, their revenues, they, did they top off or decline or, or what happened there? Uh, I don't remember what the, uh, how much they missed, but they had, a. uh, Let's see. So they were they were up thirty eight percent year over year, um, but they actually missed the quarter to quarter growth that they were expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, if I remember, yeah. something like that. Um, and so, like, not catastrophic, but I mean, really, AWS has this image, especially in the industry, of being this like unstoppable juggernaut, and the idea that it yeah. would stumble in any way really is like this crisis of faith, right? All these people who were thinking that Amazon was going to eat the world, and now suddenly, like, how could they possibly miss a quarter? Um, mm-hmm. You know, when they're uh, when they're kind of so central to so many companies' uh, cloud strategies. Um, anyway, so it, it fired off a lot of like hand-wringing and teeth-gnashing um, in, the, in the trade press. And I found this one uh, really great article um, uh, by uh, Brad Feld, um, who runs this foundry group out in Boulder, Colorado. He's like an analyst. Um, and he was kind of describing the problem. And he was describing a bunch of the what this is, what this quarter miss has done is got a bunch of analysts thinking like, well, okay, what are the ways in which AWS is failing us, right? Like what are the ways in which AWS is actually flawed? And what are the, what are the falsehoods that are around AWS? And like one of them is um, AWS is not the lowest cost provider, um, which is true. Mm-hmm. Like in a lot of cases, like people are moving to Google uh, because uh, AWS is, is getting actually kind of expensive, right? Dropbox is one of them. Um, mm-hmm. AWS is not the best. He says AWS is not the best product at anything. Um, a lot of their features are kind of mediocre knockoffs of other stuff. Um, that's manifestly true. Like uh, AWS's service and their support is not meant to be industry leading. It's not meant to be the best. It's meant to be the most easily used. Right, mm-hmm. which are two different things. Um, and he says here at, that there's a there's a breaking point is if you're spending more than 200k a month uh, with AWS, it's actually cheaper to build your own infrastructure. Um, hmm. I, that may or may not be the case. Uh, I think it was interesting for him to kind of put a, put a line in the sand and say 200 K a month is the, is the cutoff point. Um, but, uh, but it's true that, I mean, I think AWS has, has benefited a little bit from a bubble, right? I mean, they were the one who kind of invented the space and, um, to, to have them, to have them stumble, um, has a lot of people maybe bringing some kind of long overdue critical thinking um, to the cloud space and, and to kind of what the world of the cloud providers look like. But for me, the lesson is if you were relying on Amazon that much, um, then you're, you were bound to get into trouble eventually. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, the thing I tell customers is like when you're, when you're evaluating cloud providers, like don't latch onto one cloud provider. Like what you want to do is have a strategy for being able to, quit a cloud provider when they stop doing what you want them to do, right? When they get too expensive, when you don't like their policies, um, if they start complying with warrants um, in Dublin, then you ought to take that stuff and and be able to move it elsewhere, right? Um, right. And so like optimizing for your kind of option value um, rather than any kind of temporary efficiency um, is probably a better long-term play. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What do you think? 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. So anyway, so I'll be talking about some of this stuff actually in on uh, August 21st. Um, uh, I'll be talking about this stuff at the uh, FedScoop uh, Lowering Cost of Government IT event. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be touching on some of this stuff. I'll be talking a little bit about kind of effective open source strategies in uh, government agencies. Um, so folks who, were, who listened to the last show, yes, I finally figured out what the topic was going to be. Um, and I'm actually getting excited about it. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah, you told me about it. I'm excited about it. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, great. Um, so I don't know. What about you? Is it, uh, what's the next stop on the Lauren Road Tour? Well, once she's done at NASA with uh, doing Raspberry Pi with Oculus Rift and the virtual reality while she's working on with Raspberry Pis, um, her uh, project with Charles Peachock is going to be at the uh, uh, in in uh, used at uh, in in Kent at a show that uh, he's doing. So we got tickets for that. So we're lucky. Uh, we're we're excited to be at that. So that's um, um, we're all pumped up to watch that. This but, is the uh, this is the magician juggler guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. He's, he's a professional juggler. Uh, he was on finalist on America's Got Talent. And uh, Lauren wrote a, uh, uh, an application that runs on the Raspberry Pi to control his uh, juggling pins to synchronize with, um, with the music. So um, she wrote an opensource.com article and it's, it's in pre-publication now. So, um, so we're, we're excited about that. Wow. That's awesome. That's really good. Yeah. Yep. God, it's so cool. Uh, let's see. What else we got here? Oh, the uh, you hear the news that you hear the uh, about the this IG report uh, of the EPA. Yeah, what's going on there? I'm, I'm with knowing about uh, you know the way Lake Erie's been. It's uh, we need the EPA to come up here and visit. Yeah. So the, so it's the EPA. Yeah. Well, in fact, it's the EPA Water Division who got in trouble with their Inspector General. Um, <laughs> apparently, so this this is this is all part of the same story, I guess. Um, the EPA's uh, water division uh, apparently was using uh, these cloud services, but had no kind of policies or procedures to govern them. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was like the classic like shadow IT problem, right? Where you have a bunch of people unsupervised buying a bunch of cloud services from third parties uh, without any kind of, no kind of cost controls, no kind of security controls over it. It was just kind of wild west. Um, anyway, the IG got EPA in trouble. Um, and obviously the EPA is struggling with ways of, um, being able to take advantage of the public providers, uh, making, you know, kind of cloud-based resources easily accessible to EPA staff, um, at the same time kind of complying with all the rules and regulations that they're supposed to comply with. All of which is to say, I read this IG report and immediately emailed our EPA rep uh, telling them that they need to learn about cloud forms. Hmm. So. Nice. Where, where would you, if they were to watch one YouTube video um, to, to start, where would you send them? Yeah, so to our, uh, our two of our colleagues, uh, James Labaki and uh, Thomas Cameron, uh, did a uh, did a video for some folks in APAC. I think I, I don't know. I think they did this for for some folks in Asia. Uh, they did this overview of uh, kind of the the whole open hybrid cloud story, um, how to introduce governance into your uh, into your cloud strategy. Um, Anyway, and they do a full kind of walkthrough of kind of what you can do with cloud forms. Uh, and mm-hmm. all of it's up on YouTube, so you can watch it for free. Uh, so we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. So what's going on in OpenShift news? OpenShift news, let's see here. Uh, oh, uh, InfoWorld uh, did a uh, walkthrough of OpenShift. So, you know, OpenShift just had this uh, this VM that you can download, right, and get started with OpenShift, yes. like, right away. Um, yes. 
And I'd always meant to kind of play with it, but like I didn't like really have the virtual box set up right and I didn't want to mess with the thing and I always had other stuff to do. Uh, so I was delighted to see that InfoWorld actually did this very detailed walkthrough of, uh, of, the, of the OpenShift enterprise system. Um, so if you had been thinking about OpenShift, if you'd been thinking about kind of what, how it works under the covers, what the setup is like, uh, kind of the out-of-box experience for OpenShift, um, InfoWorld did this really detailed write-up on it, um, and we did very, very well. Uh, we were actually very highly rated by them, so it's a, uh, I was very pleased to see it. Um, it was really nice. Um, yeah, so to, anyway, we'll include a link to the InfoWorld uh, review uh, in, the, uh, in the show notes. And after you read that review, you're going to be like, I need to get myself some OpenShift, but you're going to be a federal agency and you're going to be like, God, but I need FedRAMP authorization. So what are you going to do then, Dave? Uh, I would call up our good partners at Autonomic. That's right. Yeah. So Autonomic has uh, now is in evaluation for FedRAMP authorization. Um, so they've got a copy of OpenShift. So we've got the public OpenShift, right? OpenShift Online mm -hmm. that lives on that lives on Amazon. That's public, but that's not certified or, or anything. That's just a kind of a public commercial service. If you are in the government and you want to run OpenShift, but don't run or want to run it yourself, you want to hire somebody else to do it, um, Autonomic uh, is, has a version of OpenShift running inside their own infrastructure, and they are going through this FedRAMP authorization. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's very exciting. It's really nice to see. It's great to see this ecosystem grow uh, as quickly as it is. It's great. Mm. Nice, nice. But, but is it secure? It's totally secure. It's one hundred percent secure. You have you have nothing to worry about. You want to know? You want to know how I know that? It, it uses military grade encryption. It uses, <laughs> it uses military grade encryption. I was going to say it's a it's the security system was built by Mr. Dan Walsh. That's yeah. how I know it's secure because uh, yeah. I trust Dan Walsh implicitly. So Dan Walsh, uh, folks, folks who have listened to the show before, do folks know that Dan is one of our favorites? Um, he's the guy who's uh, famous for being responsible for Red Hat's SE Linux policy. Um, he's since branched out and he's now actually doing a bunch of work on Docker and containers and kind of bringing all the SE Linux goodness to, uh, to Docker. He's got a great article on opensource.com about Docker security and how SE Linux plays into it. Um, so we'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, so check hmm. that out. That's awesome. Yeah. It is awesome. All right. Uh, oh my God, we're at our runway, Dave. We got nothing else to talk about. Yes. Yeah. We'll get, we'll, uh, Close it out for this episode, and, and we'll catch everybody next time. So where where do we want to send people if they need to see um, uh, a picture of your doppelganger um, and, and the other things that we talked about in this episode? Yeah, so they want to go to uh, dgshow.org. Uh, that's D as in Dave, G as in Stasi, show.org. Awesome. Well, thanks, Gunnar, and thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks, everyone. <laughs>